Hello and welcome to the 2019 F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Laminato, and this is round three, the Chinese Grand Prix. Mercedes won the 1000th World Championship race at Acanta, but behind them, Ferrari was engulfing itself in all sorts of trouble. Some messy Scuderia team orders allowed Max Verstappen to jump Charles Leclerc for fourth, sparking yet more talk about who has number one status inside Ferrari. To help understand what went wrong at Ferrari, I'm joined by freelance F1 journalist and friend of the program, Abhishek Tuckley. Abhishek, how are you doing? I'm very well, Michael. Great to be back on the show again. This is, I think, my first show with you this season. Yes, well, it's only the third round. So, you know, how how early do you want to come on? (laughs) Settle down, mate. Uh, I'll apologise, first of all, to you, Abhishek, and to you, listener, uh, for the state of my voice. No, we did not go out last night. It's It's just a cold. Just a standard aeroplane kind of cold. It's what happens when you uh, fly overnight to China, which is still in the same time zone as Australia. But And, and smoke one too many cigarettes. Well, yeah. I'm not a smoker, so I can't even really blame that. But uh, we can go with that if you like. If it makes this show sound more Formula One, given that cigarette advertising is back in Formula One now, then absolutely you can think that. But let's instead talk about the Chinese Grand Prix, actually. Uh, This was expected to be a very different race from what we ended up getting, whether that's because you thought Ferrari might be quick or whether you thought that there might be a great deal of on-track action, as occasionally does happen at the Shanghai International Circuit. It's not what happened. Let's start with the big ticket item of unknowns or mystery results of this part of the race. Ferrari was expected to be very quick in China. It's a very long straight here and Ferrari's meant to be quite powerful is what we gained from Bahrain. Wasn't the case though. No, no. I think um, leaving Bahrain, the straight line speed advantage that they enjoyed, I mean, that was what their, that was what their overall advantage was put down to, their rapidity in a straight line, if I may. And, um, you know, even Toto Wolf uh, leaving Bahrain said, you know, given what we've seen down the straights here and given that massive back straight that we've got in Shanghai, Ferrari have got to be the favourites in Shanghai, even though Mercedes, this, is, this has basically been a happy hunting ground for Hamilton and Mercedes. But even then, Wolf tipped Ferrari as a favourite. So I'm sure there was a bit of gamesmanship in mm. that. But I don't think anybody expected Ferrari to be as far off as they were. Yeah, not even really looking in the game in qualifying yeah. a good couple of tenths off. And then in the race, when even I think Sebastian Vettel, after qualifying third, sort of implied in the press conference that, well, you know, the race, we're looking good for the race. We, we could be there. And of course, everyone thought that that power down the straight would mean that Mercedes would be vulnerable because everyone has to turn the engine down a little bit uh, during the race. But if Ferrari had an engine advantage, it should still be a little bit alive. And then, you know, DRS should have passed into the lead. Hmm. Easy Ferrari one to finish. Absolutely not what transpired. We'll get into the events of the, the race more specifically in a moment. But part of this, if hmm. you wanted to be an apologist, and look, it, or not even an apologist, let's just be a realist, is down to the fact of, of the Shanghai International Circuit being a bit of an unusual one. And... Uh, regular listeners of this program will know that we say this at this part of the year, every year. The first couple of races are always unusual, not representative circuits. Yeah. And Shanghai is certainly that case. It's a front-limited circuit, which means it's all about maximising the amount of front grip you have on the car, and that dictates performance. And also, as this cold will in, in fact suggest to you, it's fairly chilly for an early spring uh, race time schedule. Uh, it's been pretty cold here, and that does play into how cars are set up and how the tyres can be activated. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, man, I come from a really hot country. I was freezing. <laughs> you know? It was absolutely freezing. Uh, oh, but but then again, having said that, yes, it is it 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 is unusually chilly and all of that. But 
it's the conditions that they see here every year. This is true. So they do have historical data. It's not the first time we're coming here. Um, we've been here since 2004, albeit at different times of mm-hmm. the year. But I mean, for the last few years, we've this has been sort of the slot that the race has occupied on the calendar. So I would have thought that, you know, going by historical data, the weather and all of these things shouldn't be a factor in the surprise result. But mm-hmm. maybe, you know, as... As, as as we said, we're still only in the third race of the season. Uh, these cars do have, you know, revised aero. The tires are different as well. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just, you know, people lucking into a sweet spot and others not lucking into a sweet spot with their car. Maybe mm-hmm. that's what's making the difference is they're still understanding how these cars behave. And that talk of the sweet spot has been pretty big this year, partly because of the change in aero regulations that are meant to make cars follow more easily. And in fact, I do think we're seeing that over the course of this season. And also because the Pirelli tyres, they change a little bit every year. Uh, A lot of drivers are reporting that the activation window of the tyre, the correct operating temperature of the tyre feels narrower this season. Uh, which makes it difficult to turn them on. It makes it difficult to to therefore manage the tyres over a race stint. We'll talk a little bit about Haas, which is feeling it particularly badly this mm. season, uh, a little bit later on. Uh, but all of those things came to deliver a Ferrari uh, 3-4 on the grid. It was Mercedes front row lockout with Valtteri Bottas on pole. And Red Bull Racing was behind them. In fact, it was two by two. Red Bull Racing, then Renault, and then Haas comprised yeah. the top 10. Uh, to touch on qualifying, though, it was surprising given that especially considering the weather, which the, the coolness should have favoured the soft tyre even more than, than Pirelli perhaps suggested. It was a 1.1 second gap between the soft and the medium and a 0.7 second gap between the medium and the hard. And the range was C2, C3 and C4 for those who are particularly interested uh, in that side of the sport. But the front runners used the mediums in Q2 nonetheless. And that meant that they all barked Pierre Gasly, I should say. Yeah who perhaps still has to earn the right to be called a front runner at this point in the season, not <laughs> yeah. to be too harsh to the Frenchman. Uh, they all qualified on the mediums really easily, actually, which earned them that extra little bit of strategic advantage. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, all of those gaps, all of those numbers, um, you know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not much of a numbers guy. Uh, well, but... Welcome to the strategy report, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, you know, regardless of, C1, C2, C3, 1.1, whatever, whatever numbers you just sort of quoted there. Mm -hmm. Ferrari was slow. I think that's, (laughs) I think that's, that's all we can take away from it. It doesn't matter whether they qualified on the mediums, whether they qualified on the softs, the hards, whatever. Ferrari was slow. Yeah, this is fair. Uh, we will get more onto how those tyre choices did affect the midfield in particular. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's where they came into play. At the front, yeah. I don't think. No, because when all the front anything. runners do the same thing, yeah. they're, they're yeah. so fast anyway yeah. that it doesn't exactly. really matter for the rest of the field. Uh, so it didn't really come into play in terms of the battle for the lead. In fact, the battle for the lead, the battle for victory, was over almost immediately. Too much wheel spin for Valtteri Bottas. Uh, on the start-finish line. Yes, so he Painted start-finish line. Yes, uh, immediately in front of the pit box. He says he wished he, he'd realised that earlier because he would have laid down some rubber on mm. his warm-up lap, mm. uh, whether that would have helped. And, and also how much that was exactly the cause is, remains to be a matter of speculation, I think. I mean, yeah. after all, Lewis Hamilton crossed the same line, not much after Valtteri Bottas yeah. did, but that's what he says happened. And he more or less had the pace for much of the race, but the cars are obviously the same. Yeah. They were on pretty much the same strategy as well within a couple of laps of one yeah. another. Yeah. There's only so much you can actually do in that situation, which is a beautiful parallel. I mean, that's, and that's the order they set themselves in. It was first, second. Bottas couldn't launch an attack. Not much happened after that. Very similar story for Ferrari, 
except the outcome was much uglier for this team. Uh, Charles Leclerc jumped into third uh, at the first lap at the first turn ahead of Sebastian Vettel. And they were sort of, they had a bit of a gap behind Mercedes, a little bit of a gap in front of Max Verstappen in Red Bull. Uh, but they didn't just hold station. There was quite a bit of uh, radio fighting going on, if you like, mm. principally from Sebastian Vettel at first because he was the car behind, uh, and it led to the cars being swapped in the first very obvious and meaningful team order of the season, I think. Yeah. Uh, who, which was the team that said Fernando is faster than you? Oh, no, forget <laughs> it. But, but no, um, look, I think... Yeah, I mean, uh, well, Leclerc, Leclerc had put in the messy qualifying lap and that's why he was fourth and Vettel was third. But having said that, he had made up for that by passing his teammate into the first corner. Mm-hmm. So he had earned that third place. But having said that, it visibly looked like Vettel was being held up because they were running so close to each other, mm-hmm. uh, which which is, again, something, you know, the new aero rules, they seem to be working because they allow cars to visibly run closer to each other than we've seen in the past. But anyway, uh, Ferrari probably felt, and I'm sure I'm... I'm I'm sure everyone watching the race felt Vettel could go faster than the clerk and he was mm. being held up. And in that moment, I think it was the right call uh, to sort of get Leclerc out of the way and let Vettel through to chase after the Mercedes. But, you know, once Vettel was passed, it was soon clear that, you know, Vettel could make no impact either on the Mercedes. And, and it's not like he was pulling away from Leclerc. So they're basically just lapping at the same pace and nothing to do with being any, with anyone being held up. Yeah, and now the the reasoning for Sebastian Vettel not being able to pull away from Leclerc, according to Sebastian Vettel, of course, is that trailing behind Charles Leclerc, he had damaged his tyres because he was following so closely, uh, which is a, a feature not necessarily just of the tyres, but of the way the aero works in Formula 1. You lose yeah. downforce, which means you wear the tyres too heavily, and if you wear them the wrong way, if you overheat them, it's very hard to get them back. But... Given he was calling for team orders, or maybe not necessarily overtly, but you know the standard way Formula One drivers do to say that, well, I'm faster than the guy in front of me. What are you going to do about it? Uh, the fact that he was asking for it in that way, should he have therefore been so close to Charles? I mean, I know obviously he was trying to make a point and apply pressure, but he knew if he knew he was damaging his tires, that seems also like a, a poor decision from him. And then subsequently, when Leclerc did the same thing to him afterwards, another perhaps poor decision if it was as bad as they said it was. I, I agree with you. I mean, okay, firstly, I don't know if Seb came on the radio and asked to be let mm. past. Um, He's implied that he was faster. Really. I don't know if he asked overtly, I th- please I think let he, me go. I think he was radioed saying, you know, get closer. And he says, yeah, I'm trying or something. But yeah. But anyway, so the, the thing with the thing with this, uh, the whole switcheroo was that, yeah, typically what you'd see is, uh, you know, when someone, when, when one driver gets out of the other and the other still wants to stay in the fight, they drop back to a certain distance behind the car ahead mm-hmm. and then they rely on strategy and undercuts and things like that. You know, now agreed they were in the same team and when you're in the same team, you the, the driver who's ahead on the road normally gets first call on, on the pit stop. So his teammate can't undercut him. Mm-hmm. But I think that would have been the more sensible way of doing it if he wanted to get past the clerk because, you know, yeah, like you say, what was the point of damaging his tires? It's not like he was able to get close. It's not like he was mm-hmm. able to get, get past on his own. And it's not like anyone really watching from the outside expected him to reel the Mercedes cars in because mm. they just didn't have the pace. And that was very evident. Yeah. And so, you could see it as well, the way Vettel was attempting to, to progress from Leclerc and move forward. Yeah. He's locking up all over yeah, the place. Exactly. He's clearly trying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even allowing for even allowing for the fact that at that point, his tires were not in their best, at their best. Mm-hmm. Even allowing for that, yeah, Vettel was you know, really on the edge uh, in those laps when he was trying to pull away. And 
Yeah, so he, I think he, if it was so clear watching from the outside, I think in the car and with all of the data and all of that that they've got going, um, I think Vettel should have known that there was no way he was going to be able to challenge the Mercedes cars anyway. Mm. So just hang back, look after the tyres and wait for the right opportunity. Now, while Ferrari were, for lack of a better word, faffing about with these team order shenanigans, because once it became clear that Vettel wasn't pulling away, it started to sound like Ferrari was considering switching them back, which, uh, as silly as that does sound, it's not completely unusual in Formula 1 in this kind of situation where a driver is allowed through to see if he can go faster, and then there's always the promise that they'll switch them back if he can't make a position. But as that was going on, uh, they were, of course, losing a little bit of time to Max Verstappen behind, uh, and rather cleverly. As they, sort were, of... Was that anyone they weren't losing time Yeah, to... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, most of the, the front. It was the most enthralling part of the race, I think it's fair to say, mm. watching this psychological drama unfold at the Chinese Grand Prix. But on lap 17, as Red Bull Racing tends to do to mix things up, and it admitted afterwards it knew it didn't have the fast enough car to hold these positions, but it wanted to give it a crack, uh, it triggered the undercut. On lap 17 with Verstappen, he switched to new hard tyres, and so effective was the undercut, partly because everyone was managing those used medium tyres, because no one was sure whether this was going to be a one-stop or two-stop race, given the conditions. Everything wanted to be a bit reflexive. Uh, but it was so fast that immediately it was obvious that Leclerc could pit at the end of that lap and would lose the position. So, instead of pitting Leclerc, they pit Vettel. And he covered Verstappen only just. There was a little bit of actual racing, yes. Uh, but he held position effectively. And this demoted Charles Leclerc to behind Verstappen into fifth. Which, uh, well played by Red Bull Racing. But it's probably fair to say, I mean, this was obviously opportunistic. But they shouldn't have been able to keep that position for Verstappen given they weren't as fast as the Ferraris. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, I I think what... I think Leclerc still had a chance of getting back past mm. Verstappen. Um, I think what really killed his chances and 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 you know resigned him to fifth was uh, was a second stop because you know uh, Max Verstappen was the undercut trigger throughout the race. Mm-hmm. He triggered the first round of stops. He triggered the second round of stops. The second round of stops. Uh, obviously, Leclerc wasn't wasn't in the top three at that time, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he'd pitted later than uh, his rivals at the first round of stops. Maybe not late enough, but later certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I think I think they should have just left. Well, I think they should have just left Leclerc out at the second mm-hmm. round of stops and just put him on the one stopper. He had, he was he was on he he was on he was on the um, on the hard tire if I'm not wrong mm-hmm. in the second stint. Yeah. Uh, so should have just left him out there because you know when Verstappen pitted and all of these other guys pitted. Um, Vettel, Bottas, they were all able to find their way past Leclerc, but Verstappen mm-hmm. was still some way back. And that I think they had enough of a cushion where they should have just gambled on leaving him out there and gone for track position mm-hmm. rather than, you know, deciding the battle in Verstappen's favor by, you know, pitting him in, by, by basically, by default, deciding the uh, battle in Verstappen's favor by pitting him. Yeah, exactly right. And it's this dithering in this second stint that really killed Leclerc because they could have put him on a one-stop, committed to that one-stop. It was marginal. Everyone knew it was going to be kind of marginal, but drivers were prepared to do it. They yeah. sort of assumed this was going to be the primary strategy. Yeah, I think until Verstappen triggered the second round of stops, People everyone was yeah. set for a one-stop. So Exactly right. Yeah. But there were times when he was being told to push because they wanted him to try and catch Verstappen, which he was doing uh, gradually. I think he closed what, off the top of my head, was an 11-second gap behind Verstappen after his own stop, which came on lap 22. Yeah. So about five laps after Verstappen. And before 
before Verstappen took that second early stop on lap 34, it closed to around three and a half seconds. Hmm. So it was therefore within striking distance. And it's no wonder that Red Bull Racing decided to roll the dice again rather than just simply get caught by Leclerc, hoping that everyone would, would fall into this trap, if you like. Hmm. Uh, and maybe at that point, this was Ferrari's thinking, because as Leclerc was left out, as you said, he was left out until lap 42 for a number of reasons. But the whole time you could tell he was losing a lot of time to Verstappen and Vettel. But this is where, if anyone feels aggrieved by team orders, it shouldn't so much be the first one at the start. It should perhaps be the second one if you were a Leclerc fan because his strategy was devised purely to help Vettel at this stage because for at least two laps, he was asked to hold up Bottas, essentially, by staying out in the hope that Vettel might find pace on these mediums and be able to catch him. Didn't work, but that undid his race. Yeah, that did. I mean, I I get the thinking behind that, although I would argue that Bottas was never going to be was never going to be held up for mm. long behind Leclerc because he, he was on such fresher tyres. He was and, and Shanghai's a circuit you can overtake around. So he was always going to get past. So A, it was a far-fetched gamble, I think. Mm-hmm. It was, but, but, but it was worth trying. But what, what, what for me then I found strange was why then pit him the second time? You've mm-hmm. already gambled on using him as a rear gunner for Vettel. Uh, Bottas has got past. Vettel has got past. The top three are basically the positions are locked. Mm-hmm. You've got the two Mercedes and Vettel. You know that's not going to change now. Mm-hmm. So why not then, you know, shift focus to Leclerc, and 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 do because those the Vettel pit stops strategy everything is already played out. So why not sh- switch focus to Leclerc and give him now from that point in the race optimal strategy to maintain mm-hmm. fourth. It would have made sense. It was yeah. another classic situation. I think we talked about this after the race on Sunday of Ferrari forgetting that they had two drivers for a time. Because after Bottas got past, and you know, there's talk that they wanted uh, Vettel to catch up and get a little bit of DRS along the back straight for one lap, mm. after which Vettel did stop. That lap was uh, lap 42, after mm. which uh, Leclerc stopped. I think mm. pardon, Leclerc made that stop. Went on to new mediums, but by then it was clear the gap was too large to Verstappen. And Verstappen, knowing that, again, that he wasn't going to catch Vettel at the second stops and pass him, was cleverly conserving his tyres, just enough that he would always be out of reach for Leclerc. And so Ferrari ended up gambling away at what should have been a 3-4 position, whatever order, and it became a a 3-5. And to boot, have now this sort of messy, potentially volatile driver situation. Uh, now, to wrap up this team orders chat, we've known all season long that Ferrari has said it would prefer Vettel in 50-50 situations because of his experience, multiple world champion, and of course, Charles Leclerc, second, racing, second season racing in Formula One. And, and that kind of makes sense. But the fact that Leclerc has been at least on Vettel's pace for three races in a row now, and in all three races, Ferrari has made a team order in Vettel's favor and against Charles in all of those situations. Surely this is something they have to reconsider. At minimum, just because, okay, Leclerc is a very mild-mannered man. We've both seen him. We've both sat in press conferences with him. But as a driver, you just can't take that forever, can you? Being as fast as your teammate or faster and still being told to get behind. No, no, not at all. And, and I think, I think when, when Ferrari made those comments about favoring Vettel in 50-50 situations, yes, they've stuck to those comments. But when they first made those comments, it was before the season. And at that time, I don't think they knew how quickly Leclerc would settle in. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they probably thought it'd take him a while the first half of the season until he settles in and, you know, and, and by then Vettel would be too far ahead in the championship anyway. So he's he would anyway be de facto number one mm-hmm. in that sense. Um, but that's not what's happened. <laughs> I mean, in fact, in each of the three races, Leclerc has been on Vettel's pace, but I would argue he's actually 
been faster because in each of those three races, mm-hmm. he has, well, he was obviously clearly faster in Bahrain, but even in mm. Australia and China, he was, Ferrari be, held him back mm-hmm. from his full, from achieving the full potential of his race. Mm. And, you know, which would have, which would have seen him finish ahead of Vettel. Mm-hmm. So he's already in a sense outperforming Vettel. So I think Ferrari have to re- go back and revise um, the way they the way they sort of devote their or, or throw their weight behind their two drivers because I, I, either either make it completely equal mm-hmm. or throw your weight behind the clock. <laughs> That's controversial. Oh, That's a controversial. It's controversial. <laughs> now to compare and contrast this just briefly before we touch on the midfield as well. Um, this situation of having two strong drivers, which is the problem here at Ferrari, or if you can call it a problem anyway. Uh, it's a bit of a bittersweet issue, I guess, if you're a team manager. Mercedes is facing essentially the same situation where you've got a resurgent Valtteri Bottas, already mm. race winner this year, mm. um, got pole in China, even if he couldn't hold it into the first turn. And of course, Lewis Hamilton, the foremost driver of the generation. Uh, they showed in this race exactly, and of course, they had the advantage of not only leading the race, but having a fairly comfortable cushion to deal with how you should deal with your two drivers who both want to win a race. Only one of them can. Uh, the first pit stop sort of raised Hamilton's ire a little bit because Bottas was pitted first despite being in second. But that had to do with the fact that, A, he wasn't quite in undercut range anyway. He did mm. get down to one and a half seconds, but Mercedes can obviously calculate that. It's both of their drivers. But the second stop was where they really shone through because rather than sort of play it safe, stop one or the other, they, they read the times of the field and decided they needed to double stack. Yeah, because I think... Uh... They did that, and that was oh, what an impressive feat of mm. choreography that was, as Toto Wolf put it. Because uh, one thing to note was, uh, you know, they, they double stacked, yeah, but the second pit stop, which was Bottas, was actually two tenths faster than Hamilton's mm-hmm. pit stop. So you know, it's normally it's the opposite. Yeah, it's normally the opposite. Yeah, so they actually gained time through mm-hmm. the two pit stops that they did. Gain time. I mean, the pit crew got faster. Mm-hmm. I don't mean the cars gained time, but mm. um, but yeah, I mean that that's 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 how you. That's an efficient managing of mm. both drivers' interests, an equal managing of both drivers' interests. And that's that's a strategy, that's an example of a strategy that takes both drivers' interests mm. into consideration. Because had um, you know, had they had they pitted Bottas to mm. cover off the undercut threat triggered by Verstappen's mm. pit stop, um, that would have disadvantaged Hamilton mm. uh, you know, the second round of stops. Because Bottas could quite conceivably have ended up ahead of Hamilton. Exactly. Exactly. Stop. So that would have jeopardized the lead Hamilton had worked so hard to sort of uh, you know, get into and then keep mm. throughout the race. But then had they pitted Hamilton as they would do because he's the lead car and that car always gets preference. Um, by leaving Bottas out an extra lap, they would have jeopardized his second position. Mm-hmm. Um so they actually, by double stacking, they they jeopardized. Had things not gone smoothly, they mm-hmm. jeopardized not just they they jeopardized the win basically, mm-hmm. but they got it done. Jeopardized they got it done. equally. <laughs> they jeopardized equally. They got it done, and they came away with the one two. And it looked so much more impressive given yeah. uh, the situation at Ferrari, where they were clearly struggling to handle a similar situation. Not yeah. exactly the yeah. same, but the similar situation whereby you've got two drivers who both think they're quick. Uh, and so it was a well-earned win for Mercedes, even if it looked a little bit straightforward from the outside. Most certainly wasn't, considering that stop. To touch briefly on the midfield, where the one-stop strategy did actually work, even though it looked quite marginal, Daniel Ricciardo is a good example of 
the situation in which you needed uh, to be able to to use this one stop. He started on used softs because he qualified in the top 10 but needed the soft tyre being a midfield car to get there. He ran till lap 18 on the used soft tyres and then ran the rest of the race on the hards. Did have the advantage, I suppose, of being lapped. He ran one fewer lap than everyone else. But because the midfield is so much slower than the front runners, he was essentially in the lead of a race because he had clear area in front of him, only had to pass a couple of cars after his first stop, and could beautifully manage it. And it was sort of a similar story for Perez, who had a great start, jumped up to right behind Ricardo, and essentially shadowed him. Slightly longer first stint, but that sort of perhaps shows the pace difference there. But mm. it shows how important it is to have the right circumstances to manage a strategy that is marginal, like a one-stop. We've got to mm. nurse the tyres. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I think strategically, the midfield, there wasn't as... I mean, it was, it was compared to all of the action going on at the front. Mm. It was quite a straightforward race strategically. Yeah, it was yeah. actually fairly straightforward because, if you want to consider Kimi Raikkonen as well, an example of a driver who rose through the field to a certain extent with a one-stop. It's incredible what uh, how good a hobbyist he is, considering <laughs> Formula 1 is now a hobby for him. Uh, lap 25, he went to the medium tyres, a good long stint. I think one of the longest bar Robert Kubica, but he's in a different sport altogether at this point. Uh, <laughs> switched to the hards. Did some racing on those tyres as well. Yeah, so it exactly. wasn't simply an easy race. He got his elbows out of the Haas cars, didn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. But that touches on the second crucial point of these point scoring positions. Haas qualified in the top 10. I think they were 10th and 11th after the first lap because Perez jumped into the top 10. That's right. But their race pace is so poor, which team principal Gunther Steiner put down to a lack of generating heat in the tyres, which is partly because of the circuit and partly because of the weather of the circuit. Uh, similar to what we saw in Bahrain, even though it's much warmer there, but no fast corners there either, which meant they were almost non-racers here. All they did was drop down through the field, couldn't even pass Alex Albon towards the end of the race, despite Albon being on extremely worn tyres. It's sort of advantage those drivers who wanted to try the one-stop. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's just an example of how different cars and different, you know, uh, different cars and and the different characteristics use their tyres in different ways. Mm -hmm. I mean... Um, that's 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 just Formula One, right? I mean, that's just. I mean, you you might have a great car over a lap, but ultimately you've got to get the job done on Sunday. You've got to be able to run mm. from lights out to checkered flag at the fastest pace possible. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know what Haas can do about it. I mean, um, but but yeah, hopefully, I mean, as as we get get to Europe and the hotter races and temperatures start to warm up a bit. They can Hungary. just pretend it's not a problem. <laughs> Too bad at Silverstone, but at other circuits it might work out not so bad. Uh, and finally, Alex Albon scored the last point. He one-stopped as well. And of course, he got the advantage of the Haas cars dropping out. Uh, Nico, Ro- Nico Hulkenberg, of course. Nico Rosberg, goodness me. Nico Hulkenberg retired from this race with mm. another engine problem for Renault, for example. Oh, no, you don't say. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Uh, but he started on the soft tyre despite starting from pit lane and having free choice. Ran to lap 19 then went all the way to the end on the hards. Again, had to overtake cars on a delicate tyre at the beginning. This was a really good example of, of really controlled and disciplined strategy execution and great racecraft yeah. as well. Controlled aggression, I would term it. Yeah. yeah. He was brilliant. I mean, after that crash in FP3, he couldn't take part in qualifying. Toro Rosso had to rebuild the whole car. And uh, I think I think he was one of the standout performers of that mm. of that race. 
one driver of the day. So the fans well, certainly well, yeah. believe so. <laughs> I think I think completely warranted. I, I don't can... think he was on television very much, no, but, no. but the fans noticed him clearly. Yeah, yeah, and good on them. Yeah, wow, you should yeah. notice him. It was a very impressive drive. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Especially yeah. considering this is his third Formula One race. Yeah. On top of all of that, to be none of your third Formula One race, very impressive. Uh, the Chinese Grand Prix, the 1,000th World Championship race. We haven't talked about what that number means, and we won't. You can read about that online. I don't want to get into that debate anymore. <laughs> it's all anyone's been talking about. Did, you take, the, did you take the 1,000th Grand Prix poster, though? Yeah, 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 it's fine. We, then everyone, we know what you think about it. Yeah, it's a nice poster. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, Are you going to keep it? Yeah, oh, I'm going to hold on to it. You know, how else will I remember a race fairly <laughs> devoid of action otherwise? But with some very interesting strategic elements and certainly some long-term implications for Ferrari, I think. I can't wait to see how that pans out. It's been a pleasure to talk about it with you, Abhishek. Likewise, Michael. Now we've got a dash. We've got our flight to catch and I've got to pack. <laughs> that was F1 journalist Abhishek Tackler. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. You can download the 2019 edition of Apex Race Manager for free on iOS and Android devices. And don't forget, you can get every episode of The Strategy Report by subscribing on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcasting app. And you can leave a review to help other F1 fans find the show. And you can also stay up to date by finding us on Facebook and on Twitter. I've been Michael Amanato. You can look me up at Michael Amanato on Twitter. I'm so sorry for the voice this week, but I'll catch you in two weeks' time for a wrap-up of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix.